Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. One, two, one, two, three. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. There are songs that just work for basically everyone that give you some particular feeling, vibrant and specific. Pursuant to this, I submit to you the Oogum Boogum song. Oogum, 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 oogum now, baby, you Silly title, obviously. Silly lyrics also. But there's something about the feeling. That almost playful falsetto. The drums bouncing along. The jangly guitar. genuinely hard to be in a bad mood after you hear the Oogum Boogum song. In fact, it's probably not worth the effort. Better to just kick your feet up, have a nice tea, and breathe easy for a minute. The song was released in 1967. Its singer, my guest, Brenton Wood. Brenton wrote it, too. He's also responsible for the hit songs Gimme Little Sign and Me and You. We'll hear those later on. Now, Wood, as I said, had some hits. That song, the Oogum Boogum song, went to number 34. You've probably heard it sometime in a movie or a grocery store or something. But more than that, he had a sound That sweetness and lightness, the bounce, the cool. That sound helped define what these days are called lowrider oldies. In the big wide world, he's a guy who had a few minor hits. In the world of East Side Story compilations and dropped Chevy Fleet Lines, Brenton Wood is basically Bruce Springsteen. I saw Wood in concert a few months ago, and it wasn't at a jazz club or some performing arts center on a college campus. He was headlining an arena, literally thousands of fans, every age, almost all Chicano, there to see an intergenerational touchstone. The man is in his 80s now, and he absolutely still got it. If you can, you should go see him live. He's currently wrapping up his farewell tour. The tour is named after another one of his hits, Catch You on the Rebound. I'm so excited to talk with Brenton Wood, who is a true legend. Let's get into our conversation. I think you got your fools mixed up. You must think I'm somebody else. I'm not the same fool you knew that couldn't help himself. And 
Brenton Wood, welcome to Bullseye. I'm so happy to have you on the show. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. You sound like a million dollars. You were giving us your best Barry White before you before you came on the air. <laughs> As we go, I just woke up. I woke up not too long ago. My mom used to my mom used to call and say, "It's the muffled tones of Barry White." He had phone. a great sound, but I mean, everybody don't sound like that. That's how he became a lover's choice with that music. <laughs> well, Brenton, you have always sung sweetly. Was Sam Cooke your guy? Sam Cooke gave me a lot of pointers in what I was doing, interested in. in. I uh, found out that the diction of an enunciation on songs, of understanding what the word was, what the artist said, kind of gave me an insight on trying to make my, myself clear and understood. I know what you mean. When you say that, your singing style is very carefully enunciated, mm -hmm. and it kind of gives you the, it feeds into the kind of lightness of your singing, the, you know, the the feeling that you could almost float away, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, they've been floating. <laughs> I was kind of fortunate with that. But, you know, I was, I had to teach myself all everything that I needed to know, except for how to get the money. <laughs> Did you sing in the neighborhood when you were a kid or in your family? Every day I walk down the street. Every day I'm singing. Every at work I'm singing. Every, I mean, yeah, I did it in the neighborhood, but I'd never been on the stage before I got to a hit record. You were one of 11 kids, right? Yes, 13, but too bad. Damn. How did you all sleep in the house? <laughs> well... It was kind of rough because we had only a two-bedroom house. And with 11 of us in there, you know, plus a friend that liked to stay over there, too. So where did you, where did everybody go? Well, they doubled up on beds, you know. The ladies in the room and the ladies' room and the guys in the guys' room. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, one and one bathroom. Where were you in the order of the kids? I'm number seven. Did your siblings sing? Mm, not that I knew. I'm, I, my family actually didn't know I was singing. I was really actually going through the changes of studying. I got my academics in Hollywood, you know, reading the, the trade papers and following the music scenes and following music progress. How old are we talking about <laughs> that you're reading trades? Oh, for 15, 16. You know, I talked to Smokey Robinson the other day mm -hmm. for the show, mm -hmm. and he told me the same thing. He was talking about being 13, 14, 15 years old and buying Hit Parade so that he could look at the songwriting credits on the hit songs. Right. So that is not a typical thing for a 14-year-old to be up to. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it, it's not. But, you know, you know, you know I was, we were so poor, and like I was saying, there were 11 people, that I was a really a hustler at a, a young age. Young age. I was really, let's say about 12 years old, I was into school. Until I heard uh, piano, 
on the stage in the in the um, recreational center. And they had a they had a stage and a basketball court. And this person was on the stage singing, uh, playing the piano, and I wondered what that heck that was. <laughs> yeah, at that, that age, it's like, oh, what is a piano? But we didn't have that type of uh, piano. We didn't have a piano in our in our house at all. It was in that room. So how did you learn? I practiced, and I practiced, and I watched him play, and I watched him play, and when he finished, I got up and I tried the same thing he did, but my hands weren't big enough. So I had to do a two-finger harmony from, you know, C, 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 D. Was there someone to teach you or somewhere to learn in the neighborhood? You know, there were places to learn, but, you know, I was just learning by that and the radio station. I wanted to do what they were doing on the radio. I had a good insight. I wanted to be, I was rich. <laughs> I wanted to be Somebody that was making some money because Pop didn't make too much money back then with 11 kids and $45 a week. Some days he had to bring home jackrabbits. <laughs> you mean to eat? Well, but of course. I was just like the birds. <laughs> was there always all the food you needed? Uh, well, No. What would happen when there wasn't enough to eat? Well, that's where my neighbor, uh, my friends caught heck with me because I would eat over to their house because I knew it wasn't going to be anything there when I got home. So I would eat over there and I leave that use their telephone and their piano. <laughs> and I write, you know, I just write. And her son used to, we used to sing together. We did a, a song together by a neighborhood producer. And uh, so so that was it. But I didn't think anything would come out of it until I see the uh, the uprising of that stuff that I did in the early years uh, up and changed over and, you know, and, and it made my today's, made it sound today's, and then they released it. What were you singing when you were a kid? Was it, was it doo-wop going on? You know, when I was a kid, I used to watch a lot of cowboy movies. I used to watch Gene Autry, Hoppin' On Cassidy, <laughs> all the singing cowboys. It used to make me feel different. If it wasn't for the rain, I might have found somebody new, and I'd be crying over you. If it wasn't for the rain, we're together once again And now we'll never ever part I might have had a broken heart If it wasn't for the rain So I, you know, had enough, had, a, had to get into that really heavy with those soap, with those operas, soap operas, well, not soap operas, they were like to, to be continued tomorrow or next week. Did, did so-and-so get out of that situation that he was in? Tune in next week. <laughs> you, know, you know, and that stuff like that. You know, I used, they used to give me nightmares because I was always going off the cliff with them. <laughs> so are you telling me that you were sitting around singing Happy Trails? Yes. 
habitry and everything pertaining to. I was more uh, country, more so to speak. So how close did you become? How close did you come to becoming a singing cowboy? That's what I need to know. Well, you know, first I had to make some money because I could have been famous. Because I used to love Eddie Dane and uh, those those cowboys and stuff like that. And they really sent me on an adventure. adventure. And I had a, I mean, that was my favorite pastime was watching those uh, soap operas or what they call them. Cereals? Cereals. I was into cereals really heavy. Did you have radio or records at your house? Uh, we had radio records, you know. No more dogging. All that's about the early stuff in the 50s. What do you remember listening to? Lloyd Price, uh, Big Mama Thornton, Etta James in the 50s. 60s, and a lot of Sam Cooke, a lot of Nat King Cole, Jesse Belvin. My style is uh, actually out of Jesse Belvin's uh, music because he had such a uh, romantic uh, thing going about him in, in his songs. Nat King Cole was really a good enunciator in his, his um, enunciation and the way he handled the song. I just worked and worked and worked and prayed. I mean, played until I got to the point to where I thought I was good enough to make a record. And then I said, what am I hell am I going to think of? What am I going to sing about? <laughs> I got a girlfriend. That's where it came from. I got a girlfriend. She gave me everything I needed to talk about. Cause I like the way you love me, okay. Every time you kiss me, thrills me from my head to feet. And I tell myself that deep down inside there will be no one else for me. Cause I like the way you love me. More still to come with Brenton Wood after a break. Stay with us. It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. The Greatest Generation, Maximum Fun's irreverent, filthy mouth Star Trek podcast is a big deal. How big? It's the only Star Trek podcast big enough to have a live show tour. And we are inviting all Star Trek fans and Max Funsters everywhere. We're calling it the Share Your Embarrassment Tour. And we're going to celebrate and roast Star Trek V. That's the one where they kill God. We're going to be in a bunch of cities, and greatestgentour.com has all the info and ticket links. That's greatestgentour.com for dates and ticketing info for the Share Your Embarrassment Tour. Come share your embarrassment with us. And grow stronger from the sharing. <laughs> Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. If you're just joining us, my guest is Brenton Wood. 
He's the singer and songwriter behind the hits Baby You Got It, Gimme a Little Sign, and the Oogum Boogum Song. He's also an all-time favorite for fans of lowrider oldies. At 82 years old, he is in the midst of his farewell tour. It's called the Catch You on the Rebound Tour. Let's get back into our conversation. What was the first time you got to go into a studio? 1958, 57. So you were young. What, who were you singing with? Don Moore, Donald Moore, Don Moore. His, his, he had a piano at his house, and his mother cooked. And I ate before I left her house because there wasn't going to be anything left when I got home because we all of us, everybody's saying, we didn't know. <laughs> How did the two of you end up in a studio? Uh, actually, the neighborhood producer. They used to call, His name was Mushmouth Robinson. <laughs> That's a great name. Who are you telling? It can go today, Mushmouth. <laughs> That's crazy. And he had recorded like in the 40s. He was out of the 40s. He lived in our neighborhood, you know, and he recorded us. Because we used to ride it and ride around in our little doobug, do, do, what is it, buggy with a 46 Chevy, because I got 46 now. Uh, 46 Chevy, singing, and just to walking in the rain. You know, songs like that. I have a track here by Little Freddie and the Rockets. That's the one. There was no such thing as the Rockets. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. They built that madness up. You know, but that's what they say. Little Freddie and the Rockets is Little Freddie and Don. <laughs> and you were Little Freddie? Yes, and Don Moore, Don Moore was Don Moore. Well, let's listen to All My Love. That background, something. What about it? I I started learning to harmonize with myself, and then after I got into that particular part about it, I, I just I uh, see I don't need you guys to rehearse with me. I, I mean, you guys don't have time. I got time, so I just follow through with my own dream. What does it mean to harmon? How do you learn to harmonize with yourself? Sing alone. It would sing alone. And then sing along against it with another tape recorder. <laughs> so you were just bouncing back and forth between tape recorders? I love that. So I was learning all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Gotta have a lot of love Gotta have a whole lot of love For you little girl Gotta have a whole lot of love You went to college out of high school, right? I went to junior college. Compton Junior College. What did you think you were going to get out of it? What was the plan? Well, I didn't get out of junior college. I didn't go to junior college because I wanted to. I had to go there because they wouldn't let me walk across the stage to get my diploma because I couldn't afford <laughs> my year-end pictures. <laughs> you talking about it in high school? Yeah. So I had to do a continuation school, and I did it at Compton College. Did you expect that if music didn't work, you'd go into the? I mean, you grew up in uh, South LA and the and South Bay. There was a lot of like manufacturing stuff going on there. Did you expect that you were going to go into go into the trades if you couldn't make it as a singer? You know, you know, I had a great job history. Working uh, in the everyday marketplace, you know, and I, at, I first started off as a construction helper digging swimming pools. And uh, I moved from there to uh, dishwashing. And I went to uh, Harvey Aluminum, which is now Martin Marietta. And uh, I was overhead crane operator, you know, and stacking stuff for Vietnam bullets, shells, and all that, bomb shells and all that stuff after we run them through the extrusion machine. And uh, I was actually getting ready to quit because I was making pretty good bucks, bucks back then on that particular job until... I said, I'm going to quit singing, and I'm going to just stay on my job, and this is a great job because I get bonus checks plus. So I was going to relax. I was going to kick back and don't, you know, you know, quit quit singing. I mean, you were, by then, if we're talking about 1964, 1965, you were, you were into your 20s. Yeah, I was into my 20s. But, you know, from 1957... Which is the song on the song on a on a label called uh, "So Bad"? Ooh, so bad. It's about my first girlfriend, you know, and how fickle ladies are when they're that young and stuff like that. I I wrote a song called "Baby Joe." I've been waiting for you to make up your mind. Do you want my love, or are you gonna leave me? Or it's crazy, something like that. And that's where I got that a song called Betty Joe. And then and, and the flip side was a slow song called So Bad.
one's hands to lead me through the night. I need someone's arms to hold and squeeze me tight. When the night begins, oh Lord, again and again. Honey, I need your love so bad. I had recorded four songs every year from that point to, to 1965, 66. I've been on Scepter label. I've been on uh, Screen Gen. I've been on... Um, um, Oh boy. <laughs> a lot of labels what they which uh, I got kinda upset because all I got was out out of it was a hamburger and lunch. Did you get to the point where you thought it wasn't it just wasn't gonna happen for you? Yeah. I just said that. You know, I I got to um I have many have so many jobs when I got to the point that I was making a good five hundred dollars a week. Were you single? Yeah, I was single, but it didn't. I wasn't single because I was really a neighborhood flirt, <laughs> basically. You know, because when I write the songs over at Don's house, when I would write songs, I'd call up ladies and ask them, "What do you think about this? What do you think about this?" You know, and that kind of gave me some uh, direction. You know, and then I got into the uh, what makes a hit record? A hit record. How does it how does it expand? It starts in the neighborhood and reaches from neighborhood to neighborhood or city to city or you know, state to state. But the disc jockeys pick it up because they want, you know, recognition of being playing hit records. I took time out to say, well, I'm gonna do it one more shot. I'm gonna give it one more shot. Then the fashion chain came. Bell bottom, hot pads, mini skirts, all that stuff came about. Then I wrote the song around that. You know, what's happening right now? The mini skirts, when you wear that high hoe boots, the hoe boots, you know, all that stuff. I just wrote, you know, a lot, a lot of, uh, I scribbled a lot of um, rhyming, rhyming, you know, lyrics and they're making sense out of what I'm talking about. Then I got to a certain part, I started laughing. So I was laughing because the Oogum Boogum song was a, <laughs> a funny song. But I just changed the word, that Oogum Boogum thing to, changed Abracazaba <laughs> to Oogum Boogum, which was the same thing as a hocus pocus, or, you know, I'm catching your spell on whatever, your stuff like that. Then I built it. And then I got the hit, I got the record. After I me, mean, I went into the studio over at Nashville West on the, next to Paramount Studios on Melrose. Was it Melrose or Santa Monica? Melrose, Santa Monica. And I went in with another group, another band, because they were a band, they would play their song, the record company was recorded, I think, a, a couple, four songs with them. Then I asked them to back me up. You know, on uh, my song that I had one song, 
and I I just sat at the piano and uh, and I expressed myself. They followed me, and it's like you know, down, 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 and that kind of made it's kind of exciting that way when they build it up like like a train's getting ready to go off from tracks or whatever. That production choice was a uh, was a function of the fact that those guys had just. You know, you had just been like, hey, can you guys stick around? I got a song I need to... And so they're like literally just joining in. They're actually, yeah, more or less. Well, let's hear the Oogum Boogum song, uh, your first hit record from 1967. And they got me in the bottom of the mountain. You can hear my piano playing in the bottom. Because I'm when I start playing this, I'm almost like I'm nervous. And I just go and I just keep that in mind where I'm at. So I just got to stay here. When I get to this part, I'm going to raise my hand and just repeat the front, and we're going out. Let's hear it. One, two, one, two, three. Make me laugh. <laughs> I mean, it's a funny song because you know it's it's such a gorgeous song. It's also headed two different directions between the as you said, like you had rewritten it to be about what was going on with you know young people's fashion at the time, right? Well, that was that was that was the change of time where everybody was love child. Things had changed so much. I mean, like we we hear those songs that you recorded as a teenager, mm-hmm. and this song are miles and miles apart. And you know, you were an adult man by the time you had a hit record. Like you weren't a nineteen year old who didn't know what was going on around. Nope, him. I was twenty four. You kind of had perspective on the world and the music changing. You know what I mean? I followed Record World, Cashbox, and, Ju- and uh, uh, Billboard intensely. I had to find out what made a record hit a hit, how it spread it around to the next station, to the next city, to across the world, whatever. I had to study that, you know, in order to know what I was doing. Because I came to a point to where, you know, when I got to, uh, you know, a great idea, I was very enthusiastic about the stuff that I was doing. And I wanted to be, you know, uh, a star. Thinking I'll be rich, hoping I'll be rich one day. And I 
you know, have been handled like stepchilds from that point. <laughs> you know, but you know, it's like, you know, the experience, I wouldn't trade it for nothing. Well, I want to play another one of those records that you cut around that time in uh, around 1967. This one's called Baby You Got It. <laughs> Didn't raise no fools and I should know That baby you got it <laughs> That's all I can say for you You got so too much so Foxy clothes, the cutest nose The groovy set, there's nothing fake about you Baby you got it People can be By the time you were cutting these records You know There were like big heavy soul records on the radio There were the kind of, you know, screaming, pleading kind of soul records on the radio and your music is has such a kind of light gentle touch to it did you ever want to go up on stage and just you know scream your heart out uh, yeah i do that all the time you know i used to do that when i was younger i used to i used to get on the stage and try to say uh land of a thousand dances <laughs> You know, and I opened up with Atlanta Thousand Dances when I after when I got, but I was very discouraged in in in, in certain stages of my career. I want to play another great Brenton Wood record. My guess is Brenton Wood. This might be my favorite of all the singles that you cut in the mid late sixties. This one's called "I'm the One Who Knows." Ha. To try to get a little thing going Strange expressions on his face is showing He gets an old rag and he shines his shoes And patches the holes in his favorite suit I'm the one who knows I'm the one who really knows I went to see you And I bought tickets It was you and Barbara Mason I bought tickets to this show because there was a poster on the street by my house. I said, Brent Wood, that's the man that sings Give Me a Little Sign in the Oogum Boogum song. That sounds like a good night out. I bought these tickets, and the, the whole time I'm waiting to go to this show, you know, I bought the tickets a month ahead of time. I'm thinking, what is this show going to be when I get there? Right? Who is this show for? You know, I don't, I'm like, n not who is it for as in it couldn't be possibly for anyone, but I'm like, is this going to be, is this going to be 30 year old, you know, record store hipsters? Mm -hmm. Is this going to be, is this going to be, you know, elderly black folks in church clothes? Is this going to like, wh who is, who is this? And uh, I got to Long Beach where the show was and I'm walking up to the venue I don't even know, is this going to be a show with 200 people at it or 2,000 people at it? <laughs> I'm walking up to the venue, and the line of lowriders and bombas is down the street, mm -hmm. like 
one after another, after another, after another, especially Bombas. And it's like families. Yeah. It's grandpa. It's multiple generations, not just two. Right. Three and four generations there together. Mm-hmm. So you are, obviously, you're from, you're from that part of the country, right? You're, you're from Southern California, or at least grew up in Southern California. I grew up in San Pedro, and I grew up in uh, Los Angeles, uh, well, inner Los Angeles. Was your audience always and that I Latino and especially say. Chicano? Chicanos, see, I'm from the neighborhood, and they call them cholos. And uh, these people that have car shows, and they do bring back uh, memories of old cars and stuff like that, you know. And it was like they had their favorite artists, myself and Mary Wells, and Smokey was in there too. But you know, I lived in the neighborhood, and I've done. They followed me. Uh, that supported me long after the records came off the charts. And because I didn't get, you know, what I expected from the record companies, I started doing, asking bars and clubs to let me take the door. And you take the bar. My first week, my first two days, there I made $5 when I did a, a, a concert. The next time I came there, I made $15. But that next following week, I had a line around the corner. So that's where I was raised, too, in that neighborhood. And it stemmed from there. And they're very loyal. They keep me supported. And then, you know, I can, I can just be grateful and thankful that the radio station that told me they, they would play my music, but they wanted, they went to, I had to make them play it. I wonder what he meant about that. Then I found out. That's where it is. I have to go, I have to top the black charts before I go over to the white charts. We'll finish up with Brenton Wood in just a minute. Catch you on the rebound. It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. Hi, I'm Travis McElroy. And I'm Teresa McElroy. And we're the host of Schmanners. We don't believe that etiquette should be used to judge other people. No, on Schmanners, we see etiquette as a way to navigate social situations with confidence. So if that sounds like something you're into, join us every Friday on Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. If you do want me I'm Jesse Thorne. You're listening to Bullseye. My guest is soul singer and lowrider oldies legend, Brenton Wood. 
When you were introduced in this show that I went to see, the man who was emceeing the event came out. It was you and Barbara Mason. He came out and he said, your grandparents love this music. Mm-hmm. Your parents love this music. And if you're doing it right, you're teaching your children to love this music. And what I had thought maybe was going to be a 300, 400 person show, (laughs) like a nice little theater show, Mm -hmm. there's thousands, I don't know, three, 4,000 people. And people were, people were in tears. You know, we get back to the part where I, the part where lovemaking in the hood is where it all begins. These uh, love affairs, and then they go. You know, everybody want they want to do different, but they don't do it. I, they want they want to do they want to do, but they have to hang out and all that stuff like that. I had to deal with when I was creating songs and dealing with uh, certain elements and stuff like that. I had to put stuff that was going on with them, what they were doing, what they were fussing and fighting and all that stuff like that. I had to put all that stuff into a song or real life. So I just broke it down to giving back what's going on in the neighborhood back to the audience. And they dish it out and not take it and write about it. And then I just blow it out of proportion, make a big deal. And then they found out that I had to do a third record, a fourth record, me and you. That integral thing of what was going on in the neighborhood, you know? It's not you. We've been together a long time. And you know what? We can get a little lightweight thing going, which was our, I add swing talk within the community into it. If you try and I try, oh man, like those people that sit down and cry all through those stuff, through the song, because of memories. You know, we've been together a long time. And you know what? We can get a little old lightweight thing going if we really put our hearts to it. If you try and I try, girl, there's no telling how far we can go. Remember those loving fools, Romeo and Juliet? They thought they had a thing going, but they just didn't know. They couldn't visualize. They had no idea how it could really be, but we know, don't we, darling? Memories are, you know, how they were with their boyfriend and girlfriend during that time. And they um, connected, just like those cars that they built. And I mean, they really really made Chevrolet. (laughs) 
Yes, Lord. We know, don't we, darling? We won't be wasting our time fussing and fighting like other people. We're going to be too busy being in love. Because this is the real thing. We found the group. <laughs> we move each other. We turn each other on. And this could last forever. All we need to do is give some kind of sign. Yes, love. And from then on, baby, it's easy. Let's talk about me and you. Why do you think that when your when the hit records dried up, you decided not to quit? There's plenty of folks who had some hit records, and they said, "Well, that time in my life has passed. I'm off to other things." And what you said you did was build something for the long term. There, well. I mean, I left my I left my job at Harvey Aluminum, you know, to be a singer. So I mean, they, I wanted it to last, but you know, like I said earlier, I loved what I was doing, writing songs and you know, playing p- piano and stuff like that. I used to love it. I used to spend all my time, a lot of time, just there doing that and creating songs and stuff like that, and calling the girls up and ask them. What did they think? Was I on the right track? Was I on the right track or whatever? You know? And they just, ah. I said, oh. And then I had a friend that was a star. His his name was Don Julian. Don Julian had the lark, and he had uh, Always and Always, which was one of my favorite songs back in the day. Then I went to one of his concerts one time, one at the park in, in Compton. And I uh, saw so how the people reacted behind the songs. The ladies reacted behind the songs. And I said, I want to do that. <laughs> that got me into it. And then when I just, I didn't call them on the phone. They heard it on the radio, and you talk and talk to <laughs> It goes on and on. I mean, what I could see watching your show was that there are a lot of people with hit records. Mm -hmm. You know, there are plenty of folks who had some 45s on the charts, plenty of folks with great songs, Mm -hmm. but there's not many performers who have that feeling of community, who have that feeling of intergenerational connection that I felt in that room mm-hmm. that night. Mm-hmm. It must be incredible to feel on the stage. It's a great feeling on stage because sometimes I don't even have to sing. They sing them for me. You know, and they give me all the you know inspiration to want to do, but I don't want to overdo it. So I do that so much until I think they had enough and I'm going to get off the stage while I'm winning. <laughs> but, you know, the kids come and they grow up and they want to come and stuff like that and they want to come and their kids want to come and, and it just grows and grows and grows.
Well, Brenton Wood, I sure am grateful for the time you took to talk to me um, and grateful for your music and grateful I got to see you perform. But I'll be out there next time. Come on down. Later, baby. Catch you on the rebound. Rebound. You didn't even write me. Brentwood, I guess what I'm saying is I'll catch you on the rebound. Later, babe. <laughs> Later, baby. Catch you on the rebound. Brenton Wood. He's on his final tour, the Catch You on the Rebound tour, which will be hitting, among other places, the Greek Theater in Los Angeles on October 7th, where he'll be performing alongside the Shy Lights, Barbara Mason, and Los Yesterdays, among others. Do yourself a favor. Get out to one of these shows. It's a special experience. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is created from the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California, where we had an earthquake in the middle of a hurricane the other day. Uh, Los Angeles left relatively unscathed, so thankful for that. But boy, that was really something. Our show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. Our producers are Jesus Ambrosio and Richard Roby. Our production fellow at Maximum Fun is Brianna Paz. We get booking help from Merritt Davis. Our interstitial music is by DJW, also known as Dan Wally. Dan went to that Brenton Wood concert with me. We had a good old time. That was great. That was great fun. Uh, by the way, Dan and I did 45 mixes. I'm mentioning it because Brenton Wood was in mine. Uh, that we posted uh, the other day on Mixcloud. So search for Jesse Thorne on Mixcloud and you'll find Dan Wally and my, uh, you know, 90-minute soul party mixes. Our theme song is called Huddle Formation. It was written and recorded by the Go Team, thanks to them and Memphis Industries, their label, for providing it to us. Bullseye is also on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. You can follow us in all those places. If you enjoyed something that you heard on today's show, please share it with somebody um, because that is how people hear about our show. And I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. Catch you on the rebound.